The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning's scripture reading is from the 17th chapter of John. If you are able, please stand in reverence for the reading and hearing of God's holy word. And if you are unable to stand, join us now in lifting your hearts. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I may known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. 
may be seated. What an incredible Sunday in God's providence that we are looking at a prayer that a son prayed to his father on this Father's Day. The Lord's Prayer, that's actually what this is. The other prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer should be called technically the Disciples' Prayer because it's a prayer disciples should pray. Jesus would never have prayed a prayer asking for forgiveness of sin or even protection from the evil one. He knew uh, who he was. That was a prayer for disciples. This is actually a prayer that Christ prayed. And this, this prayer in John 17, this is a chapter that in the course of Christian history within uh, pulpits around the world for all the centuries that have gone before us, many pastors have never preached John 17 because they've said that it is too sublime and too perfect. It's just to be read and to be absorbed and not to be pulled apart. I don't agree with that, and I stand in the shadow of others who wouldn't, like Lloyd-Jones and many, to say, no, there's so much that we can learn. However, I will say this. This morning I step in with a large amount of trepidation to look at and to consider a prayer that probably is the greatest prayer ever prayed, coming on the heels of the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. You see, the context of all of this is important. And you're going, I don't need context. I'm just, we're in John 17. That means we're in John 17. No. John 17 is the continuation of a conversation and a relationship and a dynamic that was taking place, and you may not realize this, just in jumping into John 17, that it was on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. It was the night they had just come into the upper room, and they just had their their last meal together. It was an evening of the Passover where Jesus had come and taught about himself as the lamb that was going to have to go away and to be crucified and crushed for them He had washed their feet. He had been uh, with them. And he spent chapters 14, 15, and 16, which, by the way, he didn't speak them in chapter form. But he preached that sermon, explaining to them, knowing that these men who desperately loved him were confused. They were afraid. They were like, what, you're you're leaving? We we don't know where you're, you're going. He said, oh, you do know where I'm going. I'm going to my father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come back. He was saying to them in that great sermon, it is better for you that I leave you. Can you imagine that? The son of God, with these men for three years, was saying to them, it's better for you. It's of a greater advantage for me to leave because, you see, I'm with you. Yes, spiritually, he was Jesus, the second person, the eternal second person of the Trinity. But he was also all human, fully God, fully man. And he said, it's better for me to leave because I'm only with you physically now. But when I leave, the Father and I, we're sending the third person of the Trinity who will take up residency in you. 
And that is of much greater advantage than you. And they were going, their minds, they had no categories for these things. And Jesus could see it in their faith. He was such a good friend, such a loving Savior, such an incredible God. And so out loud, in front of them, he prayed this prayer. You ever wondered why he prayed it out loud in front of them? He wanted them to hear it. It was important for them. It's important for us to hear exactly how the God of the universe, Christ our Savior, prays for us. And so we're in this now series on learning how to pray. Well, I think it would be important then to go to the one who prayed the best prayers. We saw last week when Jesus said, here's some targets for prayer. Here's some things that you can pray. This is taking it a little differently, just looking at the same uh, object that is praying to the Father, but looking at it a little differently. And so we come to this prayer, and what we see in this prayer is that at its very heart, it was totally other than how we normally approach prayer. My opinion is that the greatest problem that faces the Christian church, myself included in that, the greatest problem that faces you as followers of Christ and for me as a follower of Christ is our subjectivity. It is our self-referencing that we reference everything in life. I've said this week in and week out, and I will continue without apology to say this because to me, this is the greatest problem that faces us as followers of Jesus Christ. We reference almost everything, if not everything, off of ourselves. Jesus was just the opposite way. Our prayers reflect that. Think about your prayers recently. If you had written them down, if they were recorded for you, and you went back and you began to highlight what was in your prayers, how much of it would be subjective? Lord, I need this, I, I need this, I'm facing this, would you take care of this situation? Could use a little bit, there's more days in the month than there is money in the month. I'm alone and I'm lonely and I'd like to not be lonely. Uh, my marriage is in trouble, I don't have a marriage, I would like a marriage. Uh, I need these things, my grades, the this, the that. It's incredibly self-reference. We seem to want to get God to conform to our needs. Our prayer life, even though we would never be so bold and arrogant to say it, is really trying to shape God. And when we use the word really a lot, it's for emphasis. Lord, we really, really need this. Lord, I really need you to step in here. Oh, it would be really great for you to do that. Jesus was totally different. Jesus prays not to conform God to his agenda, but to conform his own heart to God's agenda. That is the very essence of prayer, to conform our hearts to God's agenda. One writer put it this way, let me put it to you a couple of paradoxical ways to be vivid. We pray to get God to give us things. Jesus prays to find God in things. Anything that happens, Jesus says, I want to glorify you in that. I want to know you in that, in this. I want to know you and walk with you and serve you and come closer to you. That's the reason that he 
praise. He wants to find God in the midst of the situation, not to change the situation. And by the way, the situation that he is praying about in this prayer is an absolute certainty that's about to take place, and that is his betrayal, his trial, his judgment, his death. And he doesn't once ask for it to change. The prayer that he'd already prayed in the garden earlier, Lord, conform my will to yours, not my will be done, but yours be done. Remind me again uh, of these things. This is of great certainty. We normally pray only about those things which are uncertain. But the things that are certain, Jesus says, pray there, these things. And so we're going to look at them briefly this morning. The beauty of this sermon is it's a two-part sermon. So what we don't get to today, we'll get to next week. It'll be a different voice in the pulpit. Uh, Jason Suddeth will be preaching next Sunday. But we'll follow through on all of these things. Just by way of structure, look at this prayer and notice that the first five verses, Jesus prays for himself, verses 1 to 5. Verses 5 to 19, Jesus prays for the immediate disciples that he has. I pray for you, the 12 who were there with him. And then in verses 19 to 26, Uh, He prays for the church universal. And within those, there are a number of petitions. There are different things that he prays about. You can name, I've seen some say that there are five, some say that there are ten. However you want to cut it apart a little bit. But notice this, his prayer isn't linear. If you're looking for a constant linear theme that he starts here and goes there, it's not that. He circles around, he adds perspective and layers, understanding as he cycles through it. Before long, you begin to recognize that you can't rip one of these petitions out without doing damage to the other petitions. He prays that God would glorify him and that he would see the glory of God so that we could be one because in our oneness as the body of Christ, we glorify God and therefore we need that, but we need protection from the evil one so that we can be glorified, so that we can bring him honor and glory and they're all mixed together. So we're going to look at them separately, but friends, I want I want you to know this, and my encouragement to you would be to do what the saints throughout the ages have done. Just sit with this prayer. Read it out loud. Don't just read it in your mind, but read it out loud. Hear it. Sit with it. Let it bear its weight upon you. So we're going to look this week and next at six things. We're going to look at... The fact that Jesus prays that his father will be glorified through his life. And there's a therefore on each of these. And the therefore is therefore we should be praying similarly. If Jesus was praying these for his disciples and we are now called followers or disciples of Christ, we would want these things coming forth and bearing fruit in our lives as well. So we uh, would pray similarly that the Father would be glorified in our lives. Jesus prays that his Father will protect his followers, that he would keep his followers safe, and that they would be with him forever. Jesus prays that his Father will make his followers, his Father, that he will make his followers united or unified to make them one. Jesus prays that his Father will sanctify or make holy his followers. There's one that a lot of us don't want to pray. 
I don't really want to be holy because I know what that means. But Jesus says, I pray that for you. And then Jesus prays that his followers will experience the full measure of his joy. Verse 13. So, let's look at a couple of these uh, together this morning. Jesus prays that his Father will be glorified in his life. Jesus prays for glory. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Some of you are going, I've never heard that before. Well, that's from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's the first catechism question that we would train uh, our hearts and our children upon. What's the chief end of man? What is the purpose for which man was created? Uh, Jonathan Edwards, in one of the greatest uh, treatments ever done, said, what is the purpose for which God created all things? And the answer is simply for his glory. All things were created for his glory. Jesus is praying for the weightiness. That's what the word kavod uh, of of glory means. It, It means a weightiness. It means something that has an impact on you. Jesus is praying for the weightiness of God to affect him in such a way that his desires are shaped by it. And so it should be our prayer as well. We cannot and should not, by the way, pray this prayer exactly, this part of it at least, exactly as Jesus did. Because you'll notice in those first five verses when he's praying this, he is praying that he would be glorified as the Savior of the world. That's not our prayer. Some of you may want to be the Savior of the world, but let me tell you the end result of that. You're crushed and destroyed on behalf of somebody else. And we're going, no, 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 I'd rather not do that. I'd just like all the accolades. No, what we can pray here isn't that we would be the Savior of the world, but we can pray similarly that, we would be, that God would be glorified through our lives. We can pray in that general sense. Interesting, we do the greatest prayers in all of history and those that you find in the scriptures do not start with asking God for ability or power or strength. What we see repeatedly in the great prayers is that people ask for a realization, a sight, a glory vision to see him more. Thank God, whatever it is I'm facing, I'm not asking you particularly to change the circumstances, but what I am asking is that I see your glory more, that I'm impacted by it more. We're going to look in a couple of weeks at the great prayers of Paul and Ephesians, and he prays like this, I pray that you will be filled with the riches of the glory that is within you. He goes, I want you to know that glory. When Moses prayed that wonderful prayer to the Lord in Exodus, he prayed what? Father, God, Heavenly Father, I want to see your weightiness. I want to see your glory. I want to be impacted by it. For us Christians, you see, this is a prayer that's for Christians. This isn't for uh, the objective coming to faith in Christ. It is subjective of saying those who are in Christ, we want to to see these things more. It is our desire, though, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, that you would come and see through these verses the beauty of a God who gave himself fully for you and to ask yourself, is the God that you currently serve willing to do that? Is it true love or nothing more than sentimentality? But what we see here is as a Christian, 
We need to gaze upon it. That's what Paul says. Gaze upon his glory. John the Baptist says, Behold, gaze upon the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. We are to stare at the glory of God, to consider it, to sit with it until we begin to be shaped by it. You see, here's, here's the deal. You will be transformed into the likeness. You will be transformed into the image of the thing in your life that has the most weightiness on you. You will be transformed in your life by the image of the thing that carries the most weight in your life. For some, it's wealth. For others, it's prestige. For others, it's relationship, image, status, uh, whatever uh, it is. But you need to ask the question, and we need to ask the question, what is bearing the most weight on my life? What's most weighty? What's most glorious to me? One of the ways to, I don't know, to get that, to tease that out, is to ask yourself this question. What is it that if it was taken from me, I would consider my life not worthy of living. If this was stripped away from me, this life wouldn't be worthy. And on a Father's Day, for me as a father of three boys, some of you have walked this path, but I can't imagine losing one of my sons. And I've thought at times, is that it? If I lost them, would I not even want to come and to live anymore? And if the answer is yes, then they carry the most weight in my life, and I'm shaped by being their father. For Jesus, it was, Father, if you take away your fatherliness from me, if you take away your relationship from me, then there's nothing else. Our prayer must be like Jesus' prayer when he prays that the Father's glory would be the shaping power in his life. Tim Keller, the former pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And by the way, whether you know him or of him or not, I would ask you to pray for him as he battles for his very life in pancreatic can- with pancreatic cancer, a man who has had profound impact on the kingdom, both in the U.S. and around the world. He wrote this. He said, the first purpose of prayer is not to mail in your request. That's not the main thing you need. The main thing you need is to be able to know who made you, who your Savior is. In other words, before you pray about circumstances, pray your intimidation, pray your fears, pray your resentments, pray your despondency, pray them into the glory of God. Take everything that you're facing and pray it into the very glory of God in the midst of that. In the place that we see Christ's glory more than anywhere else, God's glory more than anywhere else, in these first verses, he says, Father, the hour. And by the way, as a good biblical scholar, you would know that in the book of John, when he speaks of the hour, he is speaking specifically of his death. When he chastises his mother, woman, my hour has not yet come. It's not my time to die yet. I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. And he speaks of his hour coming. What Jesus is saying in this is that his hour, considering his life on our behalf, is the greatest glory. So if you're sitting there and you're going, 
okay, Bill, I want to consider God's glory. What do I do? I'm not encouraging you to sit on the beach or look over the, the marsh. It's beautiful, and you can see the beauty and the weightiness and the glory of God. But the true picture of the glory of God is seen in the life, in the death, in the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel itself. That's why we as a church have said that we believe that lives are transformed by nothing else. Not by our gimmicks, not by our programs, uh, not by what we do, not by the buildings that we have, not by any of it. But your life and my life will be transformed over and over again from glory to glory as we consider the beautiful, completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Sit with that. If you're having trouble on this Father's Day because your father wasn't all that good, look beyond him to the true Father and see in him the fact that he loved you so much that he gave his very son to be crushed in your place and that the son said, Father, I want to be glorified not for my sake but for yours. Glorify me that you can be glorified. That's our prayer. That should be the baseline prayer of every follower of Jesus Christ Every single day. And when things come up within the current of a day, I don't know your situations. I can look out and I know many of your stories. And my encouragement to you in the middle of it is before you pray for the circumstance to be changed, pray that God would be glorified in your life through it. Because maybe the circumstance is there for the express purpose of the God who is of infinite wisdom and of mercy and of knowledge saying that this is the absolute best way for you to accomplish the end for which you were created. And that is your highest good and that is my glory. So instead of running from it, you move towards it. You move towards your Calvary, your Golgotha. You move towards your cross and you embrace it and say, in this, Father, yeah, I'd love this cup to be taken, but if the cup of cancer and the cup of sadness, the cup of widowhood, the cup of being a widower, the cup of whatever, the cup, the cup, if you take it, fine. But if it be your will not to, be glorified in my life. Help me. To do that, oh, my friends, it would radically transform the church of Jesus Christ around the world if that was our goal and our aim, wouldn't it? Instead of going, oh, I just wish I had a better and easier life. Praise God that Jesus determined before the foundation of time itself to choose the worst possible life. He gave up the very glory of heaven itself. To live, by the way, not in modern 21st century low country uh, of Hilton Head. But into Palestine. Into a time of great, of great distress. And to say, I'm coming here for a purpose that can't be accomplished any other way. Friends, that's the first prayer petition. 
Hopefully you'll hear the rest of them next week because we're going to stop there. And not because of time. We're going to stop there because, my friends, that's the most important one. It's the most important one. It's the one for which every other one is prayed. Father, would you keep them safe and be with them forever? Because it's in your eternal protection of them and your care for them that your name is glorified because you're a good father who loves and protects his children. It's because of the glory that we desire that we would want to be unified. Friends, I'm going to ask you to pray this this week. I leave in, uh, tomorrow with my wife Lisa and Earl and Joanne Crown, one of our elders, and his wife. We leave to go to Birmingham uh, to be a part of our denomination's annual meetings. And friends, there is an evil one who wants to come and to attack the body of Christ in this denomination to rip us apart. And we need you to pray because nothing would bring less glory to the God of the universe than for the body of Christ to split apart again. And nothing can bring him less glory than within the context of our own church for you to leave and go somewhere else because there's disunity. So when we pray for unity, we pray saying, I want to be unified so that the mission of the church can be accomplished and that the Lord can be glorified. And we pray that the Lord would sanctify us in our lives, make us holy. Why? Father, I pray that the holiness that others see within me, the life of distinctiveness that I live, of otherness that I live in this world, because you see, I'm not of this world, but I'm in this world and I need you. I pray that you would help and sanctify me, make me more holy. Why? That I can look around and go, I'm more holy than you. <laughs> I got three stars of holiness and you've only got two. No! It's that the world would see and go, there is something about you that points to the distinctive glory and nature of our Heavenly Father. That's why we should care about sin, my friends. That's why. Because sin within the life of the believer affects the reputation of the one who's the only reputation that matters. And then we pray that we would experience the full measure of his joy. Oh, wouldn't it be great that the church had a mascot more uh, like Tigger than like Eeyore? You know, there's a great storm coming. You know uh, that we don't know what's happening in D.C. Hey, we're in the midst of inflation. Hey, we're in the midst of this. I've heard people constantly already tell me, Bill, are you worried about the finances of the church? Because it could be a bad season. And my comment is always the same worried about those things because you see I want us to experience the full measure of his joy and part of that joy is in the proper stewardship of the things that we have in this life it's never about an economy we're going to experience joy in the midst of it if, you're, if your party wins or loses in midterms it doesn't matter why? Because a king is still seated on a throne. And we have joy in that. And we have joy today in this. We have joy in coming to this table, my friends. Because God said, humanity needs pictures. Humanity, uh, they are embodied spirits who need to touch. They're tangible. They need to touch and taste and feel, smell and see. 
And so on the night in which Jesus prayed this prayer, he set this table, and the next day it came to pass. What weight is at this meal? That's why we, we fence it. I've offended some of you over the years. You've let me know that. Bill, you make it hard for people to come to the table. You say that it's only for Christians. It is. Who else should take this meal? Except those for whom Christ died out of the world. And we come with a reverence and a glory to it. You say, but Bill, then you say, if we have unconfessed sin or if we just don't care about holiness in our life, we shouldn't take the table. I'm not saying that, by the way, the Lord is. I'm just speaking it on his behalf. Because he says, you see, if you want to glory and honor my name, then you take seriously your sin. Because that's what this table is all about. And so, friends, I'm going to invite you now to settle your hearts for a moment. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a little moment of silence, and then we're going to come out. Olivia, I'm going to come out of that prayer with these words of thanksgiving, and then we'll go in and enjoy this meal. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory that is in this place. We thank you that we have a Savior who's standing on the precipice of drinking a cup of wrath, of experiencing the fullness of hell on behalf of all of those out of the world whom you gave to him, that he did it with joy, with sobriety, and with weightiness, but he did it on our behalf. He understood that your glory mattered more than anything else. And he understood that the cross was the greatest statement to the glory of a saving father than anything else in all of time and history. So as we sit for a moment, let that weight shape us. Father, we understand now that we have peace with you because of what happened to Christ. My friends, I would say to you, the peace of the Lord be with you.